It's Sunday night, it's 9.30 and we are coming to you live. This is the Jersnet Podcast. Now if it's your first time joining us, then it's a very, very warm welcome to you. We're here to bring you all the reaction to another jam-packed week and a very welcome six points. Now as we're live, we've made sure that the comment section on YouTube is switched on. Please do get involved with the show. We want you to send us your questions, your comments. We'll keep an eye on it. We'll make sure that the show's nice and interactive. And once we're done here, the show's going to be available on all the usual channels. That's iTunes, YouTube, uh, Acast, Stitcher, CastBox, all the usuals. So please do spread the word. And my name's Ross Bennett. I'm going to be your host this evening. Uh, and I'm delighted to be joined by two stalwarts of the pod. First up is a very warm welcome back to David Fraser. David, how are you this evening? Not too bad, thanks, Ross. Yourself? Aye, superb, superb. Um, I always feel a lot better after a, a good couple of wins. Um, certainly better than myself, Colin and John were feeling last week after the old firm. So no, I feel good you had a good week. Aye, not too bad. Aye, as you say, it always helps when you get a couple of, couple of decent results to um, wipe out the, the pain of a defeat against the, the other lot. But aye, we're to go. Aye, superb. And there's, there's plenty to get through as well, so it should be a good show. Um, also with us tonight, there's a late call-off. We should have had Graham on the show, but we've uh, we've had to draft in one light substitution. Uh, we've got the Jersnet Commander-in-Chief, Frankie. Frankie, how are you? Very well, Ross, thanks. Uh, like uh, David's saying there, it's, it's good to, to uh, be on after a, a solid win uh, this afternoon and a, a good win during the week against Hearts. Aye, certainly a different flavour tonight to what there was uh, seven days ago. Um, like, like we were saying just before we came on air it's incredible what we can do when the pressure's off uh, right I think it's time that we crack on with the show there's only one place to start tonight and that is with a very very comfortable display over in Fir Park um, Frankie we'll start with yourself what did you make of the game? Yeah, it was quite good uh, obviously we didn't start fantastically well and uh, I think uh, you mentioned uh, just uh, pre, pre-pod that uh, the, the, the first goal came against a running play and I, I certainly agree with that um, Motherwell worked hard. I'm pretty sure we anticipated they would do. They pressed us high. They they put a lot of pace and a lot of effort into that first 20 minutes. And but to be honest, we coped fairly well with that. I, I don't think we held on to the ball very well at that point. I think we gave it away a bit too easy. We we lapsed into sort of hitting long balls into the channel, which as we know is isn't really playing to Jermaine Defoe's strengths. But after about 20 minutes, I think I think Motherwell sort of blew themselves out themselves out a little bit and. Uh, we started to get a foothold into the game. They, they sat a wee bit deeper. Um, we retained the ball a bit better and probably were our first sort of real effort at goal. Um, obviously, we scored the break of the ball and uh, uh, won the up. And at that point, you're thinking, right, let's try and keep it tight. Motherwell got a couple of chances themselves and you're worried that we're, we're going to get back into the game. But just as, uh, as half-time approaches, we get a second and then after half-time, get a third to really kill the game off. And after that, it was, it was really fairly comfortable and it was just a, a shame that uh, we, we, we didn't score any more goals, to be honest. I'd agree with that, absolutely. It's It was a slightly weird one. In the first 10 or 15 minutes, I felt quite nervous. I thought Motherwell were keeping the ball a lot better than we were. We couldn't really get a foothold in the game. Um, you know, slightly slightly nervy opening 10, 15 minutes and, and probably got a wee bit a wee bit lucky with the the way that the ball breaks off their defender and, and bounce right to Scott Arfield, who who done really well to stick the ball away under a lot of pressure, obviously, from the defender. David, how about yourself? Did you enjoy the game today? Did anyone stand out for you particularly? Yeah, obviously I enjoyed the, the result, Ross. Um, 
Any standouts for me? Um, I thought it was some good performances on the pitch. Obviously, Scott Arfield was was good. He carried on his uh, his form from Wednesday night into today's game. Did a power of running, Scott. I took his goals well. Um, I thought James Tavernier was excellent. Um, Conor Golson was decent. Nico Katic was decent. John Flanagan again, considering he not kicked a ball for what near enough four months, and they started a game for four months to come in on Wednesday night and then follow that up with a decent performance again today. I thought it was pretty good, but I think um, I think most players on the pitch get past marks. Uh, Stevie Davis was was again pretty decent. Um, Jermaine Defoe decent. Ryan Jack, uh, he was he's been off the ball slightly. He's been giving away some some slack uh, passes and, and giving the ball away. So, but overall, over the piece, yeah, I thought it was a, a comfortable victory. But um, one thing sticking out for me, um, and I'm going to uh, burst everyone's bubble here slightly. I'm think that the, because the pressure's off, I think the players are are, are playing with a, a bit more freedom. I think had we still been in the hunt, um, I would imagine that. Leaving aside Wednesday night because Hearts had a lot of players out today might well have been a bit stickier than it was. But credit where credit's due. The, the boys done the, the business and get six points out of six. So well done to them. Do you think that maybe speaks to the mentality of the players that you know we've struggled with, with inconsistency, struggled for putting a decent run together over the course of the season? Do you think it maybe says something about the, the mental strength of the players that you know they obviously relax and, and, and freedom opens up a wee bit more when the when the pressure's off. Definitely, definitely. I think you've it's 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 hard here to be um well I find it hard to be to be even handed. I try I'm trying my hardest to be even handed, but a lot of these players I still maintain don't aren't good enough to play for Rangers. Um having said that at the back of your mind you're always saying we are where we are financially we're hamstrung with the Sports Direct deal. Um, but to answer your question, Ross, I think it's 100% down to mentality. Don't get me wrong, a lot of these players are maybe lacking in, in, in ability. But having the... the, the we, we used a phrase in umpteen pods last season about having broad shoulders and the shirt being too heavy for, for a lot of these players. And it's still the case this season. A lot of them... Um, Seem to, they seem to wilt under the pressure. Last week at Parkhead, obviously we went down to 10 men, and for some reason they came out in the second half and decided to, to go all guns blazing. And that seems to be, to be the polar opposite from when they're expected to win and they're just finding it hard to, to, to break teams down. And obviously, as you said, the, the, the first goal the day was against the runner place slightly, and it seemed to you know, kind of take the shackles off in, in many respects and Rangers play with a bit more freedom. So I think that the manager and the, the coaching staff and the scouting department have got a job on to get some players within budget who can take the squad to the next level. Right, I'm not going to totally disagree with you, but I don't, I don't entirely agree, if I'm honest, about you know, how they're playing with a wee bit more freedom just because of pressure. So I think you also have to combine that with the fact that there's been a slight tactical change over the last couple of games. You know, Morelos dropping out the side, Ryan Kent obviously away today. And I think there was a, a, a slightly freer role for players like Scott Arfield as well. 
Um, you see Candace and Jack drifting around all over the place. And the way that they're set up in this, what to me looked like that kind of referred to as the Christmas tree formation with the four, three, two, one pushing triangular up the park. And I think that, I think that's worked. I think teams, we've said before on the pod, teams have figured out how to play us, um, particularly a stuffy physical side like Motherwell, uh, you know, at Fur Park are always going to be difficult for us to play against because they're going to sit deep and be physical and, and not really bring any, bring much to the game, but just try and frustrate us and hit on the break. It looks like we found, you know, obviously today and, and a few days ago against Hearts, we found a, a, a way to bring some creativity and, and break down these defences where we couldn't do that before. So I don't know if it's entirely to do with pressure being off and, and being able to relax a wee bit or if it's maybe something to do with, you know, teams had figured us out and so Gerard and Beal McAllister have finally seen how to freshen up the, the shape. I don't know. Um, Frankie, where do you come down on this? Do you think maybe it's it's to do with the pressure being off or has there been a tactical change that you've seen over the last couple of games? Um, aye, I, I, I'm probably in the middle there. I would say it's um, a, a bit of both. I think I, I wouldn't entirely say the pressure's off. I think we've got a second place to try and uh, secure, and I think it's important that we do that, not just for uh, the players' point of view, but certainly for the manager. Um, I think if we can finish second, um, okay, kind of call it a successful season. It hasn't been, so let's not try to pretend that, but there's definitely been progress, and if we can finish second by the sort of eight point gap. That's uh, that we've got to Aberdeen come on it just now, and then I think that's a, a good step forward. Um, I think during the week against Hearts, there, there was a bit of pressure. I think with about what five games without a win. Um, if we'd only drew, say on Wednesday, and then struggled again today, then I think the pressure is definitely building on on the players and and the manager uh, right away. And uh, I think the atmosphere could get pretty toxic quite quickly if when that when that happens. To be honest, so. Um, I didn't entirely agree with that, but uh, in terms of the formation change, it's worked quite well uh, during the week against Hearts. I mean, we'll come on to that shortly, but uh, in, in that game and, and today, you mentioned uh, how the, the, the midfield was a, a lot more fluid and pl- players moving around and, and getting into space, and, and, and it was pretty obvious again today, and, and, it, and it seems to be working quite well. I think the trick is is when, when uh, teams get wise to that, that we're able to change quickly again and... and, and uh, and move to another formation where need be, and I think we were a bit slow to do that this season. Um, we didn't do it under Warburton very well or under Kashinia. It's it's good that that Beal and McAllister, along with Gerard, have, have spotted that uh, we, we can't play a four three three all the time. We need to be flexible uh, depending on who we're playing and where we're playing. Um, I think we've seen that on Wednesday. We've seen that again to today, and uh, I'm I'm quite pleased. It's. We just now need to take that forward. I mean, we've now got five post-split games to play against the the five other best teams in the country. So I guess we'll soon find out um, where we we sit in terms of pressure, where we sit in terms of tactics, and where we do sit in terms of overall quality in the team. I I think that's I think that's the point that I'm trying to make is that you know the the management team have shown that they can inject some kind of creativity or, or change things up when when they have to. And actually, sometimes in football. Your hand is forced. So, you know, we've had to make these structural changes because of key suspensions, Morelos and Kent being out and missing the games that, you know, they've changed up the shape a wee bit. They've assigned different roles to players. Um, you know, the post-match interviews today, Scott Arfield and Stephen Gerrard both talking about the slightly different role that Arfield was given and it's paid dividends. That's three goals, uh, four goals in, in two games. So I think it's, it's a really interesting one. And actually, it, it makes me feel quite positive ahead of the new season. 
Um, obviously, we're, we're all 99.9% sure that this season's done from a championship perspective. So it's now it's all about keeping momentum into the end of the season and, and putting building blocks in place for a, a successful title tilt next next year. Frankie, when we were running through the through the game there, David mentioned some players that stood out for him. And, and one player that I think is, is really interesting that we need to discuss is Nico Katic, who I think came in at the start of the season to quite an, you know, an alien environment to him, playing relatively provincial football out in Croatia. Um, comes in, I thought he did reasonably well at the start of the season, but found himself out of the team for a long period of time. Um, he's now been given a you know a, a run out today against Motherwell. I thought he did reasonably well. I think he had a job to do picking up Curtis Main, who's caused us problems in the past with his physicality. What's your opinion on Nico Katic? Is, in terms of the, the remaining five fixtures, is he preferable to Joe Worrell? Um, or do you think that we are a stronger side with Worrell in there? I'm quite happy with any of the three of them, to be honest. Uh, Goldson, Worrell or Katic, I think they're all fairly good players. Um, I think they've all had reasonable seasons. I think they've all went through poor patches or had the odd poor game, obviously, and made, made mistakes. Worrell possibly has been uh, maybe the most glaring um, in, in, in that sense. Um, the three of them are still fairly young. Uh, Golson, obviously, the, the, the senior of the three, and so he, that's probably why he's played and probably considered our, um, our first choice set in half, which is fine because I think he's probably the best of the, of the three of them. In terms of Katic, though, um, like you mentioned, he had a good start to the season. I think it was a Spartak away game. He had a bit of a nightmare, as did everybody else, to be fair, in, in the defence. So at that point, I think Gerard took the decision to to take him out of the team. I think he had some uh, personal issues as well, a bereavement in the family, I believe. And and since then, he's really struggled to get back in, in the team, whether it's been Worrell or um, it was Gareth McCauley for a while. Um, I think, to be fair to Worrell, he's done quite good um, the last few months, certainly since the, the turn of the year, with, with the command at game aside, with Obviously, he made that uh, dreadful mistake, which probably cost us three points that day, just as uh, after the, you know, the first game back in the new year. So, um, he's, he's young, uh, Katic. He's, there's, there's still a bit of doubt um, exactly what he's got to offer, but in terms of today, he was brought into your job, and that was to to to, to match uh, Curtis Main in the air, and he did that very very well, and uh, it allowed us to, to to the rest of the players to to get forward and, and to concentrate on what they were wanting to do. So I think in, in certain games where you need that extra bit of physicality, that extra bit of strength, then um, Katic is, is definitely a, a good option to have and we can only hope he's going to get better as he, as he gets older. David, how about yourself? It's, you know, it's, it's a nice problem to have that we have kind of reasonably solid centre-halves that we can pick and choose from, all of whom are young with the exception of Gareth McCauley who's leading the experience there. How do you think Nico Katic fits into the plans for next season? Do you see him as a starting centre back alongside Conor Goldson, or do you think we need to supplement there? I would say we need to supplement. I'd be amazed if um, if Stephen Gerrard doesn't sign another centre half, especially if Joe Worrell goes back to his parent club. So it's difficult to assess, Ross. Um, Stuart outlined there, he, he seemed to follow the picture after. Uh, the collapse in Moscow. Um, also, that's exacerbated by, as Stuart mentioned, his, um, his family issues. So, uh, Nico Katic, you saw today, he was, 
he seems up for the physical battle, even though he's maybe there was a couple of times he he, um, he didn't take too kindly to some of the the kind of how would you put it um, less than uh, just all out physical strength. You know, like using your body, there was a, there was a few challenges with the motherwell player, but a bit cuter in terms of how they, they left one on the defender and he didn't really take too kindly to it. So I understand that he's he's had a, a one-to-one with Richard Goff uh, with regards to, to buying his time and, and working hard and, and whatnot. So if, if you can take on the advice for what I regard as uh, probably the best Rangers centre-half I've seen possibly out with Terry Butcher, um, if you can take on Richard's advice and and progress as a player, then he's got to be there or thereabouts for next season. But it all depends on who they, who they bring in. If they identify someone else uh, and presumably they, they get someone in who is not a loan sign, then that could possibly um, could impact on Nico's part in the, the team going forward. Certainly from a, from a, from a starting perspective. Uh, it's a difficult one, I think, because he missed so much football in the middle, you know, the kind of middle third of the season. Um, it's, it's it's slightly hard to judge where we are with him and, and, and what we can expect from him going forward. Obviously, the, the financial outlay on him allegedly is reasonably minimal compared to what we've spent on some other players. So that, that's always a wee bit of a comfort. But I'd, I'd really love to see the boy do well. You know, I think these kind of markets, the Croatian markets, the... Um, it, it, it's really where we should be looking is that kind of southeastern Europe. Is, there's value for money there. We've seen that before. We've picked up some really good players from those kinds of markets and it's 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 better value for money than shopping in lower leagues in England. So I'd love to see the boy do well. Uh, obviously, a player from today that we can't really ignore the performance is, is Scott Arfield, who seems to be loving his role when he's got a wee bit more freedom, a wee bit more flexibility. Um, and, and obviously, he took three goals very, very nicely today. But one thing that, that really catches my eye, David, is his relationship with their mate, Jermaine Defoe. They seem to really understand each other, seem to play really, really nicely together. And actually, I think that Scott Arfield plays better alongside Defoe than he does alongside Alfredo Morelos. How do you see those two working, Defoe and, and Arfield? Do you agree with me that you know they seem to have a good relationship? And, and how did you view his game today? Well, obviously, it was, um, if he wasn't the man of the match, he, he certainly deserved to... To pick up the match ball after scoring his hat trick. Um, with regards to his, his relationship with, with Jermaine Defoe, uh, I, I, would, I would probably agree with you. He's, he certainly seems to be more comfortable in that role within himself, uh, if that makes sense. Because even though he can play in various positions across the middle of the park, I, I, I like he's running off the ball. He does it. does some tremendous running off the ball. Um, I think he's. he's Stats over the course of the season will bear that out. Um, I think that's the strongest part of his game, running on and off the ball. Uh, but where, the, to my mind anyway, the, the difference between him dovetailing with Jermaine Defoe and Alfredo Morelos is that obviously Jermaine Defoe is you know he's not the biggest player; he's only about five seven five eight something like that. So he he's got to 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 pass the ball, whereas. Um, Morelis would typically take the ball back into the defender, roll him, and then kind of bustle 
his way forward. Uh, he's also he's got a trick in his, his locker as well. Not to say that, that Jermaine Defoe doesn't have a trick, but he's more reliant on one twos or, or turning and having space and then sprinting into it. Whereas Morelos is more of a kind of you know bars in his way through Ali's his nickname from his time in the in Finland as El Buffalo. So um, I think that they, they played well today. They played well on Wednesday night um, and. The, the kind of rewards that, that Scott possibly didn't get in Wednesday night against Hearts, he certainly got them today, and, and, and a couple of his finishes were, were excellent. The second one in particular um, was very composed, and uh, he looked like a you know a, a, a top player, certainly, certainly in, in Scottish terms today with his performance, but um, I'll, I'll stick to my guns. I think it's, it's a bit easier when the, when the pressure's off, and uh, we'll, we'll see when the, the the harder games come up because parts as we'll probably come to later in the programme one of the greatest team in Wednesday night if truth be told I know they had a lot of injuries and uh, as, as physical and as up for the battle as Motherwell are they're not blessed with a, a heck of a lot of ability I know they've changed the, the way they play a wee bit but um, we'll see how how Scott performs when we, when we go to some of the some of the harder games that are coming up in the next few weeks Frankie, how about yourself? How how did you view Scott Arfield today and, and his link-up play with Defoe? And, and and what kind of role do you see Scott Arfield having next season, considering he is he is getting on a wee bit in terms of age? Do you think that he can still have such an integral role next season as he has this year? I, I can't see why not. I'm, I mean, Arfield's an experienced player. Um, he's, he's played at the top level in England for a number of years now, so... Um, other than uh, Stephen Davis and, and McGregor, I mean, we, we didn't have a huge huge amount of other players. I mean, Defoe obviously um, of late, but um, guys that have played at that level. So I, I think um, you want to have the, the that's that's the quality you want in your team from a week to week basis. And I think that um, I think uh, Scarfield showed that today. I think, as David said, his finishing was fantastic. The first goal, he was I, I think he was second favourite to get to that ball, but he got it and knocked it past the goalkeeper. Second goal was fantastic. His awareness was excellent. It was the ball for Jack was ideal, and he just chipped it over the goalkeeper. And I actually liked the third goal the best. It was probably I think the three of us would think it would be the easiest one to to take. But there was guys diving in. The goalkeeper was 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 still was still to, there to be beaten, and he just he, he just rolled it right back across the goalkeeper. Guess exactly where he was going. Just and just passed it into the into the corner, and that's a quality that Arfield brings, and and he's got to do it more regularly. I think, as as David touched on, there's a lot of stuff that a lot of the runs that he does in games probably you, you might not always notice, especially on the TV, and that's probably why quite often that his his races often run after about 60, 65 minutes, and I think you'll find he's probably been taken off more than any other player because of that. So, um, I think if he can work on his fitness in the summer, uh, so it can last uh, ninety minutes, it, it it would it would be a big help. Um, it would also be a help if if we didn't have to rely on as much as we, we do if if Davis was able to step in and, and, and do better, you know, albeit from a, a deeper role. Um Kent can do it if he's here again next year. Guys like Gresda who we really need to try get into the team and play more often. And I think that's what we need to do is try and uh, spread the load uh, through the team a bit more. As it stands just now, it's all about Morelos, all about Tavernier, all about McGregor in the European run. So let's try and and ask for more from other players, so it's a, it's a team game after all. And I think, to be fair, we've seen that on Wednesday. I think we've seen that today. I think uh, our field they got the headlines with his hat trick, but there was a variety of players did very well. And uh, I think um, the, the whole team can can uh, 
can go into the, the, the post-split games with a lot of confidence. No, absolutely. You, you mentioned there that at the moment our squad, you know, it's it's all about Morelos, it's all about Tav. And, and Morelos, I know I'm, I'm aware of the fact that right now, uh, as we're recording this and as we're as we're broadcasting live, it's the Rangers player of the season dinner. Um, so I'm, I, I'd expect Morelos to win player of the year, but I've, I've no I've no had any news come through of that. So we'll, we'll keep you up to date as soon as we get that. But um, it's an interesting one because I think, you know, I think I was very, very impressed with Jermaine Defoe today. I thought obviously he there were a couple of half chances that he could have taken. Um, there was one uh, where he was flagged offside. He then went on and cutely ch- chipped the goalkeeper, but he was flagged offside already. Then shown that he was actually level. Um, I thought his movement was good. He, he obviously brought Scott Arfield into play very, very nicely. Scott Arfield pushing on, running past the striker. It, it all seemed to work very nicely and. The last two games have shown that there is goals in this side without Morelos in the team. So, Frankie, the, the difficult question becomes: Does Morelos walk straight back into the starting lineup in a few games' time when his suspension's up? Not if we're running the game, Steve Nolly, doesn't he? It's as simple as that. Um, as much as the guys had a, a great year, and certainly my player of the year, and I, I'm sure that'll be be the case in Glasgow tonight. That he'll he'll win that award fairly comfortably. Um, is at the end of the day, no no player can consider himself uh, immune from being dropped or, or or from walking straight back into the team if if uh, if we're winning games three 0 Um, Mellis is a great player for the fine season. Is arguably our best player. Um, it, the focal point he brings is is obvious. Um, to the team, but um. Defoe in the last two games has done well. With as I say, the management team, the coaching team have done well in terms of coaching the rest of the side to to to, to spread the load as I just mentioned through the team. So um, they've showed that we can play without Morelos. Um, we might have to next season if he moves on in the summer anyway. So I mean, I, th- I think he's well. That's two games. We've still got another two games to serve of his four game ban, and uh, the manager was clearly annoyed with him as were other players at Parkhead last week. So it might well be that. He, he does struggle to get back in the side and as long as we're winning then you can't have very many complaints David how about yourself what's what's your opinion on this should Morelos be guaranteed a place when he comes back from his suspension or are you happy enough with uh, Defoe leading the line and Arfield running past um, well you, you mentioned right at the start of the show Ross about the, the change in formation and that's that's um, it's helped slightly um, the players does Alfredo deserve to walk back into the team? Uh, my answer to that would be twofold, and this might sound as if I'm sitting in the fence slightly. On ability alone, then I would say, aye. If, 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 as Stuart mentioned, you're quite rightly, he's arguably the best player at the club. Uh, on ability alone, he should walk back into the starting 11. Having said that, his, uh, his petulant uh, attitude towards his disciplinary record. Um, I would say would merit not walking back into the team. I think had 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 Alfredo had serious competition for his place in the team earlier on in the season, I think uh, we may well have seen some of his indiscretions not actually having come to pass. I think he's thought, well, there's nobody, you know, there's nobody behind me. The manager clearly doesn't rate Kyle Lafferty. Um, Obviously, Umar Sadiq uh, was, you know, 
nothing more than a, a training cone at Ock and Howie in reality. So I think he saw fit to just do it, do it light, basically. And uh, so on that basis, I don't think he deserves to, to walk straight back into the team. Having said that, you know, in a fortnight's time, when we, we come to play Hearts at Tynecastle, um, if results go south uh, in that game and the game thereafter, you know, would that then change the, the manager's mindset as to whether he comes back into the team? Possibly, but to answer your question in, in, in a sentence, I think he'll come straight back into the reckoning. See, we've uh, we've had a wee comment here on the on the YouTube stream from Arizona Bay saying that he thinks that Morelos could be a sub on the first game back. I think that's probably the way that that this will go if we keep up decent goal scoring form, keep the shape that we've been playing with now, showing that it is dangerous and that there's goals in the side. I can absolutely imagine uh, Morelos being a, being a substitute when we come to play the Hearts in a couple of games' time. That, uh, or sorry, whoever it is that we play when on his first game back, I can definitely see him being being put on the bench, and that's not necessarily the the right or the wrong thing to do. You know. It very much depends on the form of the team, and at the moment, we can show that there is there's goals in the side, and and Morelos kind of needs maybe needs to have a wee reality check and a wee lesson that he's he's not the be all and end all of this team, and because realistically, I think we all have come to accept the fact that he's probably away in the summer anyway. We can't, you know, always rely on this lad. So look, it's an interesting one to see what happens when he comes back. Listen, I think we're going to leave the Motherwell game there um, and move on. We're going to take a, a detailed look at the split and the post-split fixtures and ask all the questions around that in a wee while. I just want to take a really quick look back at the Hearts game on Wednesday. Um, another fantastic performance, absolutely very dominant, particularly in the first 15-20 minutes. Um, and, a, you know, a very convincing 3-0 win. Um, David, how did you see this game? What did you think of the game on Wednesday? It's a decent game. A good... Uh... Good bounce back from the the result against Celtic. Um, it'd have been easy to to let the heads drop, but I think that um, there was uh, how would you put it? The, the atmosphere on the ground. There, there was a there was an acceptance that the season had obviously gone on the back of that result. Even though you know the vast majority of Rangers fans would have probably thought that the, the season was gone before going to Parkhead, but. Um, I've got to say, I thought Hearts were, were abject on Wednesday night, Ross. Um, I thought they made it easy for, for Rangers to play. Uh, all they did was basically foul. Kevin Clancy let a hell of a lot of needle go uh, when he should have clamped down on it. But then again, that's that's Kevin for you. Um, they obviously they did some injuries with Naismith not playing and like Piazza up front. Uh, so they missed they missed him or those two rather. Uh, I but, but having said that, Rangers played well. The formation obviously changed. I think um, echoed what the, the manager's comments post match um, regarding Stephen Davis. You know, you seen a fit Stephen Davis, but more importantly to my mind, you saw Stephen Davis playing in his best position. Um, earlier on, uh, after the, the the resumption of the, the league campaign down at Rugby Park, he's for some strange reason, Stephen Gerrard thought that he was going to play um, Stevie Davis as a, a kind of roving number 10. Uh, um, if you cast your mind back to when Stephen Davis arrived on loan from Fulham under Walter Smith, Walter Smith tried to play him in that type of position and he quickly realised that, that Stephen Davis was better suited to being the kind of playmaker. Um, 
and Marley the partner. Obviously, he, he became more of that once Barry Ferguson had, had moved on to, to Birmingham. Um, but yeah, I thought Stephen Davis was excellent. As I mentioned previously, I thought Scott Arfield um, was an unsung hero. A power of running off the ball, stretching uh, the Hearts midfield and the Hearts defence, um, going wide sometimes, uh, coming inside sometimes, trying to get some support to Ryan Kent and Jermaine Defoe. I thought he was excellent. I thought James Tavernier was excellent. I thought, um, again, I'm saying like a broken record here, I thought uh, John Flanagan, certainly in the first half, it was excellent. He's, he looks as if he's lost a bit of stone and weight. Looks far more trim, far sharper. He had a couple of mistakes in the second half. Uh, but for the most part, I thought everyone was, was excellent. James Tavernier, again, good, solid performance. And uh, He's definitely improved this season. Certainly the, the defensive aspect of his game. I know Colin said in last week's pod that, that his, his positional ability is sometimes suspect. But I think uh, his levels of improvement this season. He's, he's went on again and, and improved. I think that's probably done to his, his one-to-one work with, with Tommy Coleshaw, I would imagine. But yeah, to answer your question, I thought it was a decent performance and, and vitally important to get the three points. Bounce back quickly and just say to all the other teams in the league that you know, we're still here, even though we've taken a, a, a self-inflicted defeat at Parkhead in many respects. Um, we're still here and we're still, we're still going to be here next season. I think that's that's absolutely right. Just very quickly, you obviously spoke a wee bit about Stephen Davis there, and it's 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 been quite hard to define Stephen Davis's role in the side since he came back in January. And obviously, age plays a wee role in that as well. In that the the kind of the position that he used to play and the the, the job that he used to do for Rangers, you know, a few years ago, he doesn't really maybe doesn't have the legs or the energy for that anymore. Obviously, things like your vision and your um your brain for the game never really deserts you, but sometimes the physical side of things can slightly fade away over the years. It's an interesting one, the contractual situation with Stephen Davis. Do you, David, do you think that Davis will still be here next season? Do you think there will be a role for him? Or has he not quite done enough to merit another year? That's a difficult one. Um, contractually, has he done enough? I would say up to possibly the last couple of games that you, you'd possibly say no. Um, but in his defence, I mean, given given Stephen Davis's age, I mean, when you get past, you know, I would probably imagine 32, 33, you're not playing every week. You know, if you're if you're at the side for six months and you're hardly kicking a ball as he's as he'd been at St Mary's, then you're going to find it difficult to um, pick up the pieces again and, and slot straight into a, a team and, and, and expect to, to be at your best. Now, even if he's playing regularly for Northern Ireland, despite not playing first-team footballs for Southampton. Even that, we, we have, obviously with the you know the, the, the comparative lack of games at international level, then you're still going to struggle for that sharpness. Next season, will he be there? I think the manager said that, that he fully expects Stephen Davis to be there next season. Now, whether that uh, has something to do with the... The strategy from on high with regards to the director of football, I'm not too sure, but um, it all depends on, on what kind of money he's earning, I would imagine, Ross. If, if, if Stephen Davis has, represents a significant overhead in terms of the, the playing squad budget, then they may well not be there next season. It all depends on whether they can get someone in who's, who's better. That's the question for me. And, and 
I suspect we probably could get someone in who's better. We could probably get someone in who's younger and tie them down to a longer-term contract who we can develop and either contribute significantly to you know a, a title challenge and then develop long-term and, and be sold on for huge profit. And just had another comment there on, on the YouTube from Arizona Bay saying, has, has Stephen Davis offered more than what Doherty was giving us? I don't think he has, personally. I think he's Doherty's perhaps a wee bit more raw than what Stephen Davis gives us. Um, and obviously Stephen Davis has has the experience in the dressing room, which whilst we never really get to see that kind of that side of things, it's it's invaluable. Um so it's 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 an interesting one. I think perhaps Greg Doherty is the answer to the Stephen Davis conundrum. Um by all accounts Stephen Gerrard is having Greg Doherty watched very, very regularly down in Shrewsbury. He's um good pals with the coaching staff at Shrewsbury as I understand it. So um I, I think there's there's a future hopefully for Greg Doherty and, and maybe if Doherty does have a future at the club next season, that answers the Stephen Davis conundrum because I can't imagine we're paying Doherty more than we would be paying Stephen Davis. Frankie, I, I can't really ignore the 90% of these YouTube comments anymore. There's a, a huge discussion to be had here about Mr John Flanagan. Um, Flanagan obviously was brought back into the side on Wednesday after uh, a, a significant period of absence uh, from the squad. I was Earlier on in the season, I was over in Moscow at the Spartak game um, and I thought Flanagan was dreadful. I thought he was culpable personally for at least two goals. Um, I thought he was out of his depth and uh, it, it, it very, very much kind of tainted how I viewed John Flanagan as a, as a football player and, and I was spewing with him afterwards. So he's now come back in on Wednesday and, and in my opinion played very, very well on Wednesday. Then again today, he was solid. He made one or two errors, one particularly that could have cost us when he he lost his defense, he lost his um, lost his attacker, and and really could have cost us a goal. But on the whole, I think Flanagan's played well over the last couple of games. Considering how much he was out in the cold, what kind of role do you think Flanagan has going forward at the club? Do you still see him being here next season? Do you think he's got a significant role to play, or do you think he might be looking for a new club in the summer? Good question, actually, and I'm, 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 I don't really have the answer. Obviously, the, the guys sort of been um, they've been quoted for a, a while now, like you mentioned, certainly the, uh, this this year, and he has done well the last two games. I was quite pleasantly surprised. David mentioned they looked like he lost weight, and I'd agree with that point. He, he does look at least half a stone lighter, and I think that he's he's got that extra half a yard of pace, which I think it was quite visibly had lost that in the, at the start. Well. Certainly, as as towards the, the the later part of the of the European run, I think um, he started off the season quite well, and he looked he looked uh, pretty decent to be honest. And I think he just seemed to lose his way. I don't know if it was through attitude, um, through fitness, or or whatever. But it, um, I, I don't think that very many of us would have lost much sleep if if he'd been moved on in January, for example. Um, with that in mind, I think it's probably still the case. I don't think he's well, there'll be very many fans. Uh, Eagerly wanting him to to stay beyond the summer, um, I, I doubt the player himself will be too keen because if he's not going to be playing week to week, then he needs he's at an age now and he's in his mid twenties, mid to late twenties. There he needs to really be playing every week. And as much as 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 being on the bench at Rangers is probably great and having European football and all final games to try and get uh, playing the. I, th I think he'll be wanting to 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 try and play more regularly than what he has done at Ibrox, and I can't see him being our first choice right or left back any time soon 
clearly that depend, might depend on the future of Tav. Does Tav go move on in the summer? There's a good chance of that. Um, but is that not why we, we brought in uh, Matt Polster to play that, that position? Um, in terms of the left-back, by all accounts, uh, Barisic's future's uncertain as well. I know there's teams interested in him and it might well be we're prepared to cut losses on Barisic um, over the, the next few weeks or a couple of months. Um, but again, I, I, I kind of see as much as he's done well the last two games, I don't think Flanagan's ever going to be a first-choice player. So it's just a, a matter of whether or not we're content to keep him as a squad player. I am, to a certain extent. Um, after that, it's just up to the player himself, I suppose. I think that's a, that's a reasonable take on it. It's, it's an interesting one because I don't imagine we're paying him that much. I mean, fair enough, he's, he's captain England internationalist many moons ago and you know, quite a, a significant number of premiership appearances down south. But I don't imagine we're paying him huge wages because we kind of brought him in from obscurity. I don't know where he was playing before he came to us. It might, you know, it was, it was certainly uh, not a high-profile position down in England. So I don't know, will, will he be happy being a, a backup? Possibly. Um, we've seen that our left-back position is kind of there for the taking at the moment because Barisic hasn't made it his own, whether that's through injury or a lack of appetite, that's something we've discussed on the show before. So it's it's an interesting one. Do you think then, Frankie, that even if he does stay, we still need recruitment in the full-back positions, particularly at left-back? Definitely. Uh, I mean, Lee Wallace is, is going to be moving on. Um, Halliday has done done pretty well um, over the piece, certainly um, the, the, for most, most of the season he's been called upon. I don't think he's done a huge amount wrong. Um Again, David talked earlier on the show about about quality, and I, th- I think if we want genuine quality and want to be winning things, and I think with all due respect to Halliday and and Flanagan, uh, we we need better. Um, I think we all hoped that Barisic would 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 bring that. He maybe still will. Hopefully, he still will. I think he he looked a decent player when he was playing against us. He struggled for whatever reason. Well, he's been at the club. Uh, probably primarily down to fitness, but by all accounts, his attitude isn't fantastic either. So um, we, we definitely look like we need strength um, on, on that left-hand side. Um, on the right-hand side, I think it just all depends on, on whether or not Tav's here next season. If he's here next season, then Tav and you pretty much guarantees you 50, 55, 60 games. You know, he's very early unfit. Um, so and it, it, it gives you a level of performance that's usually acceptable to, to most of us. I mean, clearly he makes the odd mistake. Uh, we've seen that last weekend at Celtic Park, unfortunately, but in terms of what he offers going forward and in terms of goals, penalties, assists, um, he's, he's first class and he would be a big miss, I think, if Tav left. But um, it certainly will be a case that if, if he moves on and if Barisic moves on, then full-back um, on both sides quickly becomes a, a priority for the management team. Aye, absolutely, and it's it's such an important part of the modern game as a, a fullback who can push forward and, and and provide assists and and contribute to an attacking movement as well as cover defensively, um, and and that's the thing with the left back position hasn't really been nailed down by anyone, and that's difficult because you can see on the right wing the relationship between Tav and Candias has been nurtured over the last two seasons now. Um, to be very, very fruitful, both attacking and defensively, uh, in that when Tav bombs up, sometimes Candace will drop slightly deeper and, and is quite good at, at tracking back and either winning the ball back or causing a foul, breaking up play and, and, and allowing us to reset. 
we haven't been able to replicate that relationship on the left-hand side because of the uncertainty that we've had there. So it's it, it's a difficult one with Flanagan in that he's, you know, he's, he's come in and he's done well, but also his, his first couple of games, I, I seem to remember his first couple of games in a Rangers shirt, he also came in and did quite well. And then very quickly it changed and deteriorated quite rapidly. So I think, Frankie, you said it best when you said that you're not going to lose any sleep if he's not here next year. Um, I think that's we probably can find better, even if that is as a, a backup left back, and Barisic can hopefully make that spot his own. So, who knows? Um, I'm delighted to see the boy do well. Um, he's he's obviously he's passionate. You can see that he he cares, um, and he, he he definitely tries. He doesn't seem to hide. He doesn't shirk away from a tackle. So that's that's great. But um, I think I think we just need slightly better. Right, before we end the show, I'd like to take a, a look at the split. Obviously, the, the post-split fixtures were announced this week. We know um, where we're going. We have, I think I'm right in saying, three home games, two away games. We welcome uh, Celtic to Ibrox, as we all expected. The away games are going to be away to Tynecastle and Rugby Park. So we also have Hibs and Aberdeen coming to Govan. Um, David, before we look at the, the post-split fixtures, can you talk us through why do we have a split? Are you are you in favour of it? Um, I know there's a few leagues across continental Europe that, that have a split, but what's your opinion on this? Oof. How long you got? Um, it's one of the anomalies of Scottish football um, where... I don't know. It's 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 hard not to sound negative here, Ross. Um, I mean, it's Scottish football's with the size of the league. Um, it can be pretty boring with the, with the repetitive nature of it. Um, I mean, we're going to be playing Kamarnet again. We're going to be playing Aberdeen again with the cup replays, the two cup competitions. You know, it's. It's kind of the familiarity is practically breeding contempt in terms of the, the teams that you're watching, leaving aside you know rivalries. Um, from a, a purely practical reason, you can see the strength and the the marketing thinking behind it, and that you know, the top sides are playing in a small space of time. So it's good for selling the league to. The TV companies, um, but as a fan, uh, I'm a wee bit on the fence. You know, but I can see that this the point as to why you know you, you don't want meaningless games. But um, me personally, I prefer to see the league extended and uh, just play each other um, home and away, if possible. I know that's not necessarily going to be the most. Um, lucrative in terms of finances for the, the clubs within the, the country and hence the reason why it's not probably happened as yet but um, the split, uh, it happens in other leagues in, in Europe as you say I think um, it happens in Switzerland if I'm right and saying it certainly did at one point um, yeah I think it's, just, it's, it's something that, that, that the Scottish footballing authorities use as, as, as leverage to try and market the game in this country that the best that they, they can and that's their prerogative because they're obviously calling the shots I guess I Absolutely I, I didn't know about Switzerland but I know for example in Belgium they have a similar sized league to us maybe 16 teams but they then 
split that league into obviously the top half and the bottom half. The bottom half teams then play off not for well for relegation as part of it, but also the team that wins that bottom half of the league qualify for the Europa League. I mean, at least we don't do anything as stupid as that. Um, Frankie, how about yourself? David mentioned that he'd be in favour of a, you know, possibly in favour of league expansion, and I think there's a a really strong argument for that. Maybe bump the league up to eighteen teams um, and just play each other once home, once away. Does that make more sense to you, or are you in favour of the split? Gerard, as, as someone's commented on the YouTube, there James has commented that Gerard has, has come out on record saying that he's a fan of the split. Would you come down on this? In theory, the split's a good idea. Um, in, in practice, I don't think it works too well, just because certainly in, in, in recent times, it, there isn't any competition. It's the, the league's done. I mean, clearly Celtic uh, are, are more likely going to win the league, so it's, it's pretty much a, a waste of time for some of these fixtures. Uh, obviously, it's, there's a, a one or two places to be battled out for the European positions, which is fine, but um, generally speaking, I, I don't think the split's worked very well over the years. Um Certainly, not from our perspective. I mean, this time it's interesting. We've actually got three home games for a change. I think it's very rare over the what the ten years or so that the split's been going on that, that we've actually had the three home games. It's usually Celtic that get them. Um, so that's a positive. I've got an extra game on my season ticket this year, I suppose. So uh, we, we can look at it for that point of view. Generally, though, I think I have to agree with David. I think I would rather have a, an eighteen team league. I think. Um, in the last few years, obviously, we've 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 been in the in the championship. Has have uh, Hearts, Hibs, and and Dundee United uh, of of late, even part of Thistle, and I think to to a certain extent, we've all struggled a wee bit and seen that there's actually some good quality in the championship. Uh, so I, I think there's there's no doubt that that you could you could go for the, the twelve teams we've got now up to to sixteen or eighteen and. And, and not really detract for the level of quality that we we'll have now. And, and instead of playing Kamarnock seven times, like we're going to end up doing this year, we, we only play them twice. And if we get them in the cup, uh, so be it. Um, but generally speaking, you're, you're, you're not going to be bored by by playing the same team four times. I mean, I, th- I think it's it's a nonsense. Um, I, th- I think it detract, it, it, it causes a lot of the negativity we see in the game because uh, people are all over familiar with each other. Uh, you get bored with games, games that should be exciting, games against Kilmarnock should be exciting, they're a good team. Um, you, you quickly think, oh, for goodness sake, we're going to play Kilmarnock again, are we? Instead of saying, right, we've got, we're, we're going down to, uh, or up to Dundee United, or uh, down to the Queen of the South, or something like that. Teams that, that, that have done quite well over the years against us, and, and uh, I'd, I'd much rather have that, to be honest. Um, again, money talks, unfortunately, and, and David mentioned that, and that's exactly why we've not seen that. Uh, both a, a TV point of view, they want the four old firm games, and the other teams want the the uh, certainly the Rangers fans to to come down uh, twice a year and, and get the money involved in that. So, uh, unfortunately, I, I don't think we're going to see it changing anytime soon. I think it's a real shame, though. I really do because I, I I'm the same as the pair of you. I think we could quite easily expand this league with traditionally bigger clubs in Scotland. Your Dundee United, your Partick Thistle, you know Falkirk are down there. Wraith Rovers, um, obviously Ross County, who are up in the Premier League, Dunfermline, Bear United have got cracking support. So uh, there are there are big clubs that could, you know, certainly. What's the difference, for example, between a Dunfermline or an Air United that, than a, a Hamilton Academicals? What what do Hamilton bring that that Dunfermline don't? 
I think they're similar sized clubs and I think we could quite easily expand the league to incorporate all of that. But as you say, um, it, it, it comes down to money. The clubs wouldn't want to give up half their paydays when Rangers or Celtic come to visit. Um, obviously, the TV companies want four old firm games a season. I'm kind of slightly bored of pandering to TV deals, considering the fact that our governing bodies could not organise a piss-up in a brewery and consistently undervalue our game. So, you know, the, the TV money is a, is a pittance compared to what it is in, in England, obviously, but other leagues across Europe, we, we're not represented um, fairly financially, in my opinion. So I don't, I don't see the TV deal as kind of a, a strong enough reason to not expand the league because it's, to me, it kills it for fans. Like you say, the part of the animosity we have is the over-familiarity. And it, it, I just think it would be a refreshing change to, to, to expand the league and, and, and see where we get to. Um, if we look then at the split this season and, and the five games that we've got to go, Frankie, how important was it that we go into the, the post-split fixtures with two good wins under our belt, six goals, two clean sheets? How important is it to carry momentum into the final stages of the season, despite the fact that the Championship's gone? I think it's vitally important. Um, I think early in the season, we all enjoyed that that run in Europe. Um, but I think, um, in, the, in the same vein, I think we'd rather have had less games, and I think we'd have benefited from that. Certainly, in um, towards the tail end of last year, I mean, I don't think we had a, big, a good December at all, and I think that showed, but uh, because the team were, were exhausted, um, guys like Golson, Tavernier, they've had fairly decent seasons over the piece, but you can tell um, because they've played so many games. I think Golson's played fifty, Tav probably closer to sixty. Um, you can tell they're exhausted, and so we really so I think the fact if we can finish second as high up the table as we can, then. It's one at least one less tie in Europe, so um, in another couple of weeks, um, summer holidays for these guys, and so I, I, th I think it's important we, we do that. I think it's important for the fans. Um, I think it's important for the players' mindset uh, for next season. And I think if we can finish second place by the, the eight or nine points that we've got just now uh, towards these other teams, then I think it's 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 it, it makes them think again next season. Of course, they'll want to challenge us again, but then they'll realise that, that that Rangers are back to. To, to, to challenge and be, to be in the main challenger to Celtic and we can only hope that we can take that into to next season and, and, and really give it a good go. I mean, I think this year's probably been a, a bit of a missed chance, a missed opportunity. I think Celtic struggled. Will they have, they have the same inconsistency next season? Difficult to say just now. It might depend on who they, who they have as a manager. Um, but I think it's all about us and if, as it stands. So winning our last five games would be a, a great way to to finish the season and a great way to to take confidence into into next year's campaign. Do you think that's realistic, Frankie, to to win all five games, considering the the difficulties that we've had against, with the exception of Hearts, difficulties we've had against all of the other teams in the top six? You know, we've dropped points consistently against all the bigger clubs. Is it realistic to ask for five wins out of five? Probably not. Uh, to be fair, but I, th I think, I mean, well, we've got Hearts, we've got Aberdeen, Hibs, Celtic, Kilmarnock, and um, other than Hibs, we've, we've beat them all this season. Um, I don't think we've much to fear for Hearts um, in two weeks' time. Aberdeen, I think we've got a, a score to settle there. Hibernian, obviously, we've, um, we, we've played them a few times this year and, and been able to, uh, unable to beat them, and we've actually played them off the park in most of the games, so there's no reason we can't win that game. Celtic, um, after what happened last weekend, 
that's going to be a bit of a battle. Um, I'm looking forward to that one already, and I'm sure the players will be up for it. And then you finish away at Kilmarnock, and it would be a great way to, to, to finish the season by beating them on their own patch, on that official pitch, and uh, and, and and showing that we are the, the, the second-best team in Scotland at this point, and hopefully a bit closer to Celtic than we have been in recent years. So, yeah, we can do it. It's, it's, a, it's a big ask. It's probably unlikely that we will. But as I say, I think it's the, if I was the manager, that's a target I'd be looking uh, for. And I think as a player, I would be wanting to do it and, and to try and uh, prove a few points. And, and it's, it's an ideal chance to do it over the next uh, the next month. Aye, absolutely. And look, we're, we're coming into it in good form. Um, even the old firm result, we, we weren't a million miles away. We were the better side for a lot of the game. We, we made silly personal mistakes that cost us. Um, David, I'm going to come to you for the, the closing question of the show and it's a question from uh, one of the comments on the YouTube from James Gilmore, the big question to end the show David, in your opinion, will we maintain our form and hold on to second place? Yes yes. I, I, I'm going to um, I'm going to concur with, with Frankie I think um, I think we should be looking to win all five games yes, it's a big ask but um, a lot of these players are playing for their futures. They'll know that internally, despite what the manager might say publicly. Um, so yeah, I think if if some of these players want to be Ibrox next season, they're going to need to they're going to need to maintain the form of the last two games. Um, going to Tynecastle, I think Tynecastle could potentially be sticky. I'm going to slightly disagree with Frankie. However, if we we manage to put away Hearts, I think. We'll go into the, the midweek game against Aberdeen and, and presumably find Fettel, assuming there's no injury or suspension worries, other than, than the injuries and suspensions that we've already got. Um, so, yeah, if we can get a result against Hearts and Aberdeen, take that into the, the Hibs game, and then that sets us up nicely for for the big one to get some a degree of revenge back on the, our separated brethren on the 12th. So, um yeah, I think I think we can we can maintain a position in the league. We've got to we've got to we've got to, we've got to give the players every chance uh, for the Europa League qualification, and the players have got a, an obligation to do that by finishing off the season on a on a high or a comparative high. That is. I mean, do you think that there's an argument to say though that whilst it's important to to push on, finish the season strong, to to give us a springboard for next season. Um, and obviously with a, an incredibly short pre-season before we launch back into the European qualifiers. Is there not also an argument, though, to say that we should be using the last few games of the season to be given some minutes to the younger lads to get them experience of playing top-team football um, in the SPL uh, to, to try and blood them through and, and get them ready for next year? Up to a point. You, you, you could see the strength of what you're saying there, but... Um... Part of the, the the attraction of the, the the split, if you like, is that you're playing all the, the, the top sides, and we, we've got something to play for. Despite even you know there's no trophies to play for. Um, let's see, we post five victories, um, and you know that, that's this will sound slightly preposterous here, anyway, but it, but it could become squeaky bum time if uh, if Celtic draw a couple of points. So I mean. It, Get into the weekend's fixtures. Did, did anyone predict that, that Celtic would drop points at home to Livingston? Don't think they would make there'd be many. So they've done that. They, they, they've, they've, uh, they've came on stuck against against Livingston at home. Who's to say that they, 
they might struggle going away from home. So you never know. It, it might be, it might be closer than the eleven point gap that it is at the minute. But I don't think it's necessarily the time to to blood young lads. If certainly from the start, we've we've got a squad of players um, who are reasonable uh, currently. I don't see any young lads that are necessarily, you know, batting down the manager's door and saying, you know, it's time for me to get a game. I think you mentioned earlier in the show there, uh, Mark Polster, he's not a run-out. So uh, I think if, if we can can uh, establish superiority in some of these games coming up, then by all means, you might, there might be the opportunity to, to give some, some, some minutes to some fringe players and, and some guys that are coming through the, the youth system. So oh, it all depends, Ross. It depends on how we... Let, let's get hearts out the road first and see where, it, where that takes us. Aye, absolutely, and look, it's it's been a, a a reasonably disappointing way that the season's panned out, especially since around about February time, the way certainly in March that we fell away. But there's no reason why we can't finish the season strong, and it's it gives us a springboard into next year. It gets us geared up for the Europa League qualifiers. Um, so I'm I'm with you, David. This, whilst silverware wise, the season's ninety nine point nine percent done. Um, it's important for us to maintain high standards to the end of the season. Show these teams, such as your Aberdeens and your Comarics, who have got the better of us on multiple occasions this season, show them you know, that we are the dominant force in Scottish football, that we're not something to be taken lightly. Um, because that's something that over the past few years has been forgotten by some of our peers. Um, so I, I think you're spot on. I think we really do need to maintain form and, and push right through to the final whistle. Um I've been trying my best to vamp to try and get to the end of the, the Rangers Player of the Season awards. Unfortunately, it looks like we've no managed to do that and I'm, I'm conscious of time. Just as a very quick wrap-up of what we've got so far, uh, Josh McPeak won the Academy Player of the Season. Uh, Ryan Kent got Young Player of the Year. Alfredo Morelos is top goal scorer as well as Players Player of the Season. And Ryan Jack's goal against the Filth has got goal of the season, as well as uh, the first time this year that we've had a, the Women's Player of the Year has been announced at the same time uh, is, uh, I believe it was Amy Kerr. So we haven't got to the Player of the Season. I'm, I'm confident it'll be Morelos, but uh, unfortunately we just couldn't quite get there. I think that's all we've got time for on the show tonight. So thank you very, very much as always to my guests, to David and to Frankie for joining us this evening. A massive thank you as well to everyone that's been listening to the show and contributing via YouTube. There's been some great debate going on there. Um, which is fantastic to see. So thank you for getting involved, making it all very interactive and making our jobs a lot easier. Um, if you've enjoyed the show, we're going to be available to download as soon as we're off air here. So that'll be through iTunes, Acast, Stitcher, CastBox um, and Google Play, all the usual places. It would be great if you could leave us a wee review, share the podcast around um, and, and spread the word as much as possible. That'd be fantastic. We'll be back next week when Colin will be presenting. Um, so until then, thank you very, very much for listening and have a great week.